God designed us to experience more than physical life. He wants us to experience fullness of life. This message is the fourth in the series, Life. The message is entitled, Inspired with Purpose, Part One. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, wheel your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to God's Word this evening. By the way, just a quick reminder that next weekend you don't want to miss JB. James Brown's going to be in the house next weekend with us. And so if you're not familiar with James Brown, James is a sportscaster with CBS uh, Sports and uh, a journalist as well, and just a man that really loves God. And it's a great opportunity for you to invite people to join us. If you have a friend that would just enjoy hearing James, I know it's a great opportunity to invite people that, that, that do not know Christ. And so we'll have a great time together. So next weekend, that happens at all of our services. So we're looking forward to that. I want to continue our series together entitled Life. I want to talk to us about being inspired with purpose. When we talk about life, we need to understand that life is far more than just the biology of living. All of us are alive, obviously, because we're here, we're breathing. But life is far more than that. Life involves experiencing something that goes beyond the dimension of just sort of living your life out without meaning, without value, without a sense of of a purpose for your life. And when God uses the word life in Scripture, He uses it in many different ways, and Jesus very specifically helped us to understand what life was all about, but by a unique word that He used. When he said, I've come that you might have life, the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, Jesus reached into the Greek language and he grabbed hold of a word that we know to be the word Zoe, and that word Zoe speaks of a unique kind of life. I came that you might have Zoe, I came that you might have life, and that word Zoe is a word in the Greek language that means basically two things, it's to have a life that is fulfilling and a life that is fruitful. I think all of us would agree here tonight that we want a life, we want to live a life that is indeed fulfilling, that we have a sense that we're doing something of value with our life, and also a life that is fruitful, that we're leaving something of a legacy, we're producing something that has value. And so Jesus said, I came that you could have a life, Zoe, a fulfilled life and a fruitful life. Now, just like biological life requires certain things, you cannot have a biological life without, without breathing air and without taking in water and hydration and without some kind of nutrients that will feed your system. You need those things as the basic elements of biological life. In the same way, we need certain things from God, from relationship with God, to have the Zoe kind of life. We need to have love, the love of God. We've talked for the last three weeks about the power of God's love and God's love working through us, wrapping up that part of the series last weekend by being reminded that Jesus' words to us of the greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is equal to it, love your neighbor as yourself. So the whole dimension of the gospel is centered around this dimension of receiving God's love inside of us and then giving God's love to people around us. And so life involves experiencing love. It involves being inspired with purpose. We're going to talk about this for tonight and the next couple of weeks as as well. And real life, the Zoe kind of life, involves faith. That's what the F in life stands for in this series. We're going to talk about the importance of having a certain kind of faith and how to live your life with faith rather than fear. And then real life involves being engaged, engaging your life in meaningful service and meaningful growth. But our focus this weekend and for the next couple of weekends as well, after James Brown will be with us next weekend, we'll continue the series. I'm going to talk to you about how to be inspired with purpose. God designed you on purpose for a purpose. 
I want to say that again. God designed you on purpose for a purpose. Would you say that with me? God designed me on purpose for a purpose. Let's say it together. God designed me on purpose for a purpose. Let's say it again. God designed me on purpose for a purpose. You are not an accident. When you think about your life, sometimes we can sort of think about our life haphazardly and maybe the circumstances of our life and our birth and our family and our background and all those things we think about from time to time. But God uniquely designed you. You are a creation of God. God created you on purpose and He created you for a purpose. Look at these verses. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. The Lord gave me this message. Jeremiah says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb, before you were born. I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet. As this applies, obviously, to Jeremiah, it applies to you. God knew you when you were formed in your mother's womb. Isn't that great to know? Jeremiah 29, 11, one of my favorite verses, as perhaps is yours as well. Why don't we read it together loud and loudly? Let's read. Here we go. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God says, I've got a plan for you. I know this applies to the nation of Israel. There's a certain context to this, but it also has application to your life as well. In this moment, God says, I know. I'm not questioning it. I'm not unsure about this. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, uh, and the plans are to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans that will give you hope and will give you a future. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Listen to this one. God has given each of you That includes you. God has given each of you some special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other, passing on to others God's many kinds of blessing. The scripture says, Peter writing, inspired of the Holy Spirit, God has given each of you some special abilities. I want you to say with me tonight, I am special. Come on, say it again. I am special. God created me on purpose for a purpose. Say it with me. God created me on for a purpose, and I am special. So important to grasp. So, you know, so, well, do adults really need to know this? Yes. You need to know this as well as I. First Corinthians chapter 12, 4 through 7. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to only the pastor. Is that what it says? No. A spiritual gift is given to what? Each of us so we can help each other. So I want you to say, I'm special and I'm gifted. God made me on purpose for a purpose. I'm special and I'm gifted. These are important things to grasp inside. Isaiah 44, verse number two. Just a reminder, you're not an accident. You were created by God on all. For, uh, for a purpose, on purpose by God. You're special, you're gifted. Isaiah 44 verse 2 says, I am your creator. You were in my care even before you were born. I think we ought to stop there for a moment and just thank God for that reality, right? Okay, aren't you grateful for that? These are, this is right out of the Bible, folks, okay? I am your creator. You were in my care even before you were born. Now, God never creates anything by accident. Everything that God creates, He creates on purpose for a purpose. 
God never creates anything without forethought and without design. God always has a design and forethought. And when he creates things, he always declares behind his creation, it is good. Read the book of Genesis chapter 1. Every time God creates something, he says, it is good. It is good. It is good. There's only one not good in the first part of the book of Genesis. not good for men to be alone, the Bible says. And so he talks about relationships. So when God made you, he made you on purpose for a purpose and you are special and you're gifted by God. And even before you were born, God was caring for you and taking care of you. He was working in your life. You're uniquely designed by Almighty God. And this doesn't mean that everything you've experienced in life is good. Sometimes in life we go through tough and bad things and that's a reality we have to face because the, life, the world that we live in is a broken, sinful world. But the wonderful thing about God is that even when we go through difficult things and broken things in this world, God is the redeemer and the restorer of those who've been broken. That even when we've been broken by sin and broken by difficulty and broken by problems that have happened in our world, our life, our circumstances and experiences, God is the one who's able to redeem those things for his purpose. I don't have time this evening to talk to you about the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, how he went through all kinds of horrible things, but God redeemed him through it and brought him to his destiny. There's a destiny for your life, and you need to live with a sense of divine purpose. You need to live with a sense of divine purpose every day in your life. Why? Because there is a purpose for your life. You're not an accident. Now, to understand God's purpose, you have to, I have to bring in another word here. And this is where we're going to talk for the next several weeks after James is here next weekend. I want to talk to you about how do you discover this purpose? One thing to know, you know, hey, I, I believe that maybe God has a purpose for me, but I don't have a clue what it is. I don't understand my purpose and, and I don't understand my God's plan for my life. And so I want to tie these two words together. The purpose of God is discovered by you walking in the plan of God. That God's plan for you, His will for you, we might use another phrase there, that God has a will for you, His will for you, His plan for you will guide you into the purpose He has for your life. And so it's extremely important that we understand how do we discover God's plan, God's will, so we can fulfill His purpose for us. And so it's vital to us grasping this. So what is God's purpose for your life? What is God's plan for you? How do you know the will of God for your life? I'm going to share with you four things that will get us started tonight in this this whole process, this journey of understanding God's will for our lives that you and I need to grasp. And what I want to share with you this evening is fairly foundational, but it's essential to where I'm going to take you over the weeks to come. And all of us, some of us perhaps have heard what I'm going to talk about before, but we need to be refreshed in it because it lays the foundation for how do I know the will of God for my life? How do I know God's plan for my life? And how do I then, knowing his plan, fulfill my purpose? The first thing that's essential if you're going to know the plan plan of God for your life and his purpose for your life is you have to learn to live for what lasts. You'll never find God's purpose. Listen closely. You'll never find God's purpose for your life until a shift happens in the way you think about life. In this world, there are things that are temporary and things that are eternal. Some things in this world that we're living in, they're very temporary. They don't last. In fact, the world itself is not going to last. There'll be a point in time when Jesus will come back again, and all that we know is the world that we live in today will be consumed in the dimension of his kingdom, and, uh, and, and a new heaven and a new earth will be formed, the Bible says. And so certain things do not last, and some things are eternal, and they do last. And so it's extremely important that we learn to live for what lasts rather than for what is temporary. I want to give you some words that will understand what it means to live for the temporary. 
A lot of us at times, and certainly in our world today, they're living for things that are temporary. They're not going to last into eternity. The first dimension is when you live for the accumulation of your possessions. A lot of people are living for what they can, they can accumulate in life and what they can, there's nothing wrong with possessions, but, but everything is wrong with living for the accumulation of possessions because as we all know, you can't take anything with you. I've reminded you before, I've done a lot of funerals. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You don't take anything with you. So you've got to, you've got to leave this stuff behind. And so while possessions can have value for, the, for your life and, and meaning for advancing the kingdom, and I believe that God does bless us with things at times in our life, possessions don't last. You don't take them with you. So if you're living for that, you're living for something that's just not going to last for you. Second of all, living for popularity. When you live to be famous, you live to have some kind of notoriety, and you want to be popular, and that's very, very, very much the, the culture of our world. It's a celebrity culture. When you live to try to be a celebrated kind of person, it's just a very fleeting thing because popularity may be strong today, but gone tomorrow. Just think about all the movie stars that used to be at the top of the, of the chain, if you will, and now they're down at the bottom. You don't even hear their names anymore. And They were famous at one time, and they lived for that fame, and they don't even have a name. Their names are not on the marquees anymore. And when you and I live for the acceptance and the popularity of people, we're living for something that has so little value and is so fleeting. Thirdly, living for pleasure. A lot of people in our world, they're living for things that just make them feel good, and living for pleasure. For the moment, what can I do to feel good? And that's very shallow and very superficial. It can rob you of eternal pleasures. When you live for today's pleasures, you can exchange today's pleasures for eternal pleasures. And then the last one I'll mention here for you, and these are just setting the stage for what we're talking about. Because I think we all want to know God's will for our lives, correct? It is not God's will that you live for possessions. It is not God's will that you live for popularity. It is not God's will that you live for pleasure. And it is not God's will that you live for position, power, and prestige. It's not God's will. It's very clearly that God says that all that stuff is temporary. Your position, you might have a, an exalted position in the world. That's wonderful, but it's not going to last. You can't take it with you into the next world. In fact, Jesus said the first will be last and the last will be first. I think we'll be amazed when we get to heaven, some of the folks that really are on the front row there. Because some of the folks that are on the front row here, if you will, in terms of the stage of life, will not be on the front row when we get to heaven. There'll be some folks that have just loved and served Jesus in a very humble way, but we have to realize that it's just not God's will for us to live for position and power and prestige and popularity and possessions and all these things we've talked about. You can give your whole life to that, and it's just not going to last. That is not God's purpose for your life. Nothing wrong with any of these things, but it's not the purpose that God has for you. It's extremely important that we realize something. Romans chapter 14, verse 12, listen to this. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to who? To God. Let me just remind everybody here. Everybody with me tonight? There's life after this life. This life is not all there is. There's life after this life. And one day, I will and you will, we all will stand before God and we all will give an account to God. I want to make sure you hear that because I want to be a faithful pastor to you because I don't want you to be standing before God and say, well, Pastor Dale never told me that. I never read that in the Bible. I want you to hear all of us 
When we pass from this life to the next life, there'll be a moment, there'll be a time that you and I will have our own appointment with God and we will give an account of our lives, how we lived here. And I don't want to be at that point saying, well, Jesus, I live for popularity and I live for position and I live for power and I live for prestige and I live for popularity and I live for all that stuff. And Jesus, that, mean, that means nothing here. I don't want to live that kind of life. How about you? I don't want to be there. Again, nothing wrong. I'm not condemning any of those things. Those things have value but they don't carry forth into eternity unless they're used in the eternal sense here. Luke chapter 12, listen to this. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable, the ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. He, this man, thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. I mean, he was making money hand over fist. He was having a very successful business. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain." And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how, this is how it will be. Listen to this. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not, what does it say there? Rich toward God. That's why Paul writes in Colossians 3 to set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. When you and I choose to live for what is eternal, we're talking about living for God, and I'll get into that in a moment, living for the purposes of God. But why is it so important that we live for what's eternal? Let me give you three reasons why. You'll want to write these down in your notes. Number one, when you begin to live for what's eternal, it clarifies your life. You begin to think clearly. Because you have a central, when your eyes on things are on things above, and you're not distracted by all the things of the world around, it clarifies your thinking, it gives you a sense of real direction for your life. It puts pain in perspective. All of us will go through pain, but when you and I are thinking eternally, then the pain that we go through, we realize, well, you know what? God's working a purpose through this pain, and there's an eternal value to it. I'm going to get through this. This is not the end of everything because there's, there's a life to come. The light and momentary afflictions are here, but this is not going to last forever. It clarifies. It puts pain in perspective. And notice this. This is the most important thing. There are a lot of words to write down here, but all of them are important. It releases us to live boldly, fearlessly, and faithfully. When you have your eyes on what is eternal and you're living every day for what is eternal, you're living for God's purpose, it releases you to live boldly for God and fearlessly for God and faithfully for God. It changes the way you go about living. It, it, it takes the fear out of you. It gives, puts faithfulness in you. It allows you to live boldly for God. Why? Because you're thinking about the eternal and not about the temporary. The second thing I'll give you today is the second thing that's necessary. We're talking about a purpose, God's plan. How do we discover it? To do that, you have to go all in with God. I promise you, you'll never know God's plan for your life until, until you begin the journey of going all in with God. 
See, we can have a conditional relationship with God or we can have an unconditional relationship with God. How does God love us? Conditionally or unconditionally? God loves us unconditionally, but we have a part of the relationship too. And so we can actually return to God a conditional love. He loves us unconditionally, but we can still love Him conditionally. We can still serve Him conditionally. And to serve God conditionally means I will serve God under certain conditions. As long as it pleases me, as long as it fits into what I want my life to look like, and if as long as it makes me happy, then I will do what God wants me to do. But, but real, a real relationship with God is when you get to the point of saying, I'm going to serve God no matter what. I'm all in with God. It's not a conditional thing. I'm not telling God how to run my life. I'm submitting my life to God for Him to run my life. I'm all in with God. God, and you'll never discover the fullness of your purpose in life and fullness of God's plan until you've given it over to Him and said, God, I'm all in with you. Because I promise you, anytime you're holding on to a part of your life, whatever you're holding on to is the very thing that may be keeping you back from all that God has in store for you. And all of us at times have things we grab hold of and we hold on to and say, God, you can have everything but that. Are you hearing me? You can have everything but you fill in the blank. I don't know what the but is in your life. There's a man in the Bible that had that same problem that he didn't, he was not willing to go all in with God. And because of that, he suffered some consequences. That is Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. As Jesus started on his way, a man, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I have kept all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Notice the next thing Jesus said, one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Let me stop there for a moment. A lot of people think that Jesus went around telling people to sell everything they had and give to the poor. This is the only time in Scripture you find Jesus saying this to one person. Why did Jesus say this to this young man? Why? Because this was the one thing between him and God. Jesus was not interested in the man's money. He was not interested in his possessions. Jesus, in his wisdom as the Son of God, knew what was the problem in this man's heart. He was, he was wanting a relationship with God with conditions. He wanted a relationship with God, but he wanted to withhold something for himself. He wanted to, 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 to keep on this, this, this pathway to his possessions. This was important to him. And so Jesus said, you know, I'm kind of seeing in your heart, young man, and the one thing you need to do is go sell everything you have and give to the poor and come follow me. That's one thing you lack. One thing you lack. One thing you lack. Notice verse 22. At this, the man's face fell. And notice this. He went away sad because he had what? This young man had, a, had the greatest opportunity of his life. He's there with Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He's having a conversation with the Messiah. And Jesus is engaging with him. And Jesus is wise enough to say, young man, there's just one thing you lack. Just get this one thing right in your life and, and you'll discover the purpose for which I created you. And this man was not willing to let go of the one thing that he lacked. 
He was not willing to deal with the one thing, and he went away. And here's the important thing to remember, that when he went away, he walked off the pages of Scripture. We never hear from him again. We never know anything else about his life. He never reached the potential that God had for him. Can I ask you tonight, in your own life, as I'm asking myself, what is the one thing? What is the one thing that maybe you're lacking? What, what conditions have you put on your relationship with God? What have you said, God, I'll follow you. I'll do anything you want me to do, but where's that but in your life that God wants to help you to say, you know what, I'm willing to let go of that. I'm willing to release that to you. I love the writing of David in Psalm 40, verse 8. It really describes the place that he got to in his own life of an unconditional relationship with God. He says, I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. One translation, David writes, I delight to do your will, God. I don't want to hold anything back from you. Go all in with God. Number three, ask God to guide you and believe that he will. What's our focus? We're talking about discovering the purpose for which God created you and understanding the plan that God has for your life. And so we've talked about how do you get there? Well, you've got to focus on the eternal, not the temporary. You've got to realize I've got to change the focus of my life. If I'm going to discover God's purpose, I've got to think eternally and I've got to go all in with God. I can't hold stuff back from Him and I can't relate to Him conditionally. And then I need to learn to ask God, invite God into my life to guide me and to believe that He will respond to that. You have to ask God for guidance. God is never going to come into your world until you ask Him. He never pushes. Why? Because you have a will. He never forces His way into your life. He's working His purposes. He's seeking to, to move you toward a relationship with Him, but He waits for you to invite Him in. And we need, if we're going to discover God's plan for His life, we need God's guidance. We desperately need the guidance of God. I need God to guide me every day. I need God to guide me every moment of every day. We need the guidance of God. And that's why you find all through the pages of Scripture, especially the Psalms, you'll find the psalmist praying for God's guidance. Why don't we read a few of these? Let's make them our prayers tonight, if you will. Read with me Psalm 25, verse 5. Let's read together. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. Notice the first two words. Lead me. Lead me by your truth. What a, what a prayer to pray. Psalm 27, 11. Listen to this one. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. It's a prayer that the psalmist prayed. Psalm 43, 3. Send out your light and power and your truth. Let them guide me. Notice the prayer for guidance. Let them guide me. Let, let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. Psalm 23, 1 through 3. You know it well. Why don't you read it with me? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Why do you and I need to ask God to guide us? Because when you and I are asking God to guide us, we're, we're actually reminding ourselves that God's in charge of our lives and we're not. It's a reminder to your own self. It's also reminding ourselves that we need God to order our steps every day and continually. We're, we're inviting Him to intervene in our life and to override our plans and interject His plans into our world. See, sometimes we have plans, but God needs to override our plans. And so when you pray, God, lead me, you're inviting him, God, I've got some plans here, but you have full permission to override my plans and to establish your plans. And we're, we're actually sensitizing ourselves when we pray prayers like this. 
to the plans and the purposes of God. So when you ask God to guide you, you need to believe that God will guide you because it's a promise. He promised in his word that if we ask for wisdom, he will give us wisdom, James chapter 1. The final thing I want to bring you to this evening. Let's review where we are again. We're talking about life, right? Everybody want life? Zoe, okay. To have life, you have to have love. To have life, you have to be inspired with a purpose. That purpose is God's purpose for your life. He created you on purpose, for purpose. To discover that purpose, you have to understand his plan. It's the more practical aspect of it. To discover his plan, you've got to get your mind off the temporary, onto the eternal. You have to go all in with God. You have to ask God to guide you. And then number four, you need to trust God's word and his ways above your own. You'll never discover God's plan for your life until you say, God, your word is the authority of my life. I'm going to trust your word above my own plans, my own ideas, my own approach to living. See, trust is the key to guidance. You will never follow the guidance of someone you don't trust. Are you hearing me? I remember the first time, this was years ago, many years ago, some of you will know how old it is, uh, how far back at this when I tell you the story. It was the first time I'd traveled to Florida for an event I had to go to. And, and so it was, I'd rented a car. I had to rent a car. And so when I went to the place there to rent the car. They said, would you like to rent a navigation system? It was back in the days when you had to get them separately, right? It wasn't on your phone. You had to get a little Garmin thing. Everybody know what I'm talking about, okay? And so I never had one before. I never seen one before. And I said, well, yeah, they had a special deal or something. I said, okay, I'll rent one of those because I didn't know where I was going. And I remember hooking it up, and the little voice comes on the line. My wife was thrilled because I had to listen to a woman direct, direct me, okay? So she was thrilled about this, okay? So she's happy about this. And so we're in the car together, and this voice is telling me, turn right, turn left. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that doesn't make sense to me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You've been with the guidance system. It still makes no sense where it's guiding me. I'm not going to do that. And we got lost. Okay. Why? Because it knew where it was taking me, okay? I wouldn't, tr- I wouldn't what? Trust it. I had not learned to trust it, okay? I still don't always trust it very much, okay? I'm still working on that, okay? But the point I'm making is that you're not going to follow the guidance of someone you can't trust, okay? Trust is essential to guidance. And so you and I have to trust God and we have to trust his word above our own ideas and our own ways. You have to trust in God because sometimes God's going to instruct you to do things that you don't understand and sometimes God is going to instruct you to do things you don't want to do. Anybody ever read a scripture and you said, I wish I hadn't read that scripture because now i got to do it, okay, right? Ever had that message? Oh, my goodness, wow. Oh, okay. Like, forgive your enemies. I don't want to do that, okay? There are a lot of things that God will ask you to do that you don't feel like doing, and so you have to say, okay, if I'm going to be in God's plan. You, listen, you want to know God's plan for your life? Right here in this book, okay? If you focus on the book, you'll be in the will of God because this book is the will of God for your life. And don't ever fool yourself and think that you can walk in the will of God outside of the book of God, okay? You can't walk in the will of God unless you're living in the book of God. So whatever the book says... That's what we're to do. That's the guidance for our life. But you've got to trust this book to say, this is going to be my guide. This is going to be what is going to help me to know how to live my life. That's why the Bible is such a supernatural and wonderful book. I'll give you an example of this in a man's life. We're just about done tonight. It's a story, an Old Testament story of a man by the name of Naaman. Naaman was a Syrian. 
And Naaman had been afflicted with, with leprosy. And back in those days, leprosy was, it was a death sentence. I mean, there's no way to get cured of leprosy. And so leprosy, uh, he, he, he was a commanding uh, uh, officer in the Syrian army, very well-respected man. And, and so he's trying to figure out, how can I get some, some help for my, for my leprosy? And he goes home one day, and they had a little, little Israeli girl that was living in their house as a servant. And so his, this little Israeli girl had told his wife, Naaman's wife, that there was a God in Israel that could cure him, that could save, that could bring him deliverance from his leprosy. And so his wife passed on the news to Naaman, and Naaman decides he's going to go into Israel and see a prophet by the name of Elisha, and he's going to find his cure for his, his leprosy. Now let's pick up the story. Here is Naaman. He's made his trip from Syria. He's got all of his entourage with him. I mean, he's a fancy guy. He's a very well-respected guy. He's showing up at Elisha's house. Notice, notice what happened. Happens. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he, Elisha, would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. And so here's Naaman. He's traveled all the way from Syria. He's found Elisha's house. He knocks on the door and Elisha doesn't even go to the door. Elisha sends his servant with a message, hey, Elisha says, if you'll go wash in the Jordan River seven times, you're going to be cured. Now, Naaman was this fancy commanding officer. He wanted to talk to the big wig. He didn't want to talk to the servant. He thought, surely Elisha will come out here. He's going to wave his hand over me and do some kind of trick over me. And I'm going to be well. Everything's going to be great. And so what happened here in this moment is that God wasn't working the way Naaman wanted him to work. Anybody ever been there before? I thought God would do it that way. So he was not happy with the situation, and so he's mad. He's angry about the fact he's been told to go wash and dip seven times in the Jordan River. Let's pick up the story. What happens now? He asks some questions. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Ibana, and the Farpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So he's trying to negotiate with God's word. Anybody ever tried to do that before? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage, but his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you, you should certainly obey him when he says simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as, notice, say this, read the statement with him, as the man of God had instructed him. So he, he's now following the word now. He's now doing what the word says. He's in obedience with the word. He didn't want to be, but he finally chose to be in obedience to God's word. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young, young child's. And he was healed. Why? Because he lined himself up with the word. He discovered the purpose of God for his life because he did what the word of God said to him to do through the prophet Elisha. It's so important to understand at that moment, when, when Naaman put his trust in the Word and did what the Word said, that's when his healing happened and his purpose was realized. Everything good in your relationship with God, including discovering your purpose, the purpose of your life, it all starts with trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know it well. Trust in the Lord 
with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. What do we do to discover God's purpose? We're going to continue this theme weekend after next, but I want to lay the foundation. You've got to seek and live for what lasts. If you're living for the temporary, make the decision to change your thought process. I'm going to live for the eternal. You've got to go all in with God. You don't need to get, don't, don't hold on to any conditions. Say, God, I'm giving you full reign over my life. You need to learn to ask God every day of your life. And as you live through your life daily and even through the, the flow of each day of your life, God, to guide you. God, I'm opening my life to your guidance. And God, I'm going to trust your word. I'm going to trust your word above anything that I feel or want in my life that your word has the final authority for me. Would you bow your heads together as we pray? Father, thank you so much for this important reminder this evening as we're thinking about moving forward, discovering more of your purpose and plan for our life. And I pray that each one of us would learn to live for the eternal, that where we're living for the temporary, I pray that you'd help us to readjust and set our mind on things above. I pray, Lord, that you help each one of us, Lord, to go all in with you, where we've set conditions with you, Father. I pray that we would let go of those conditions. That, Lord, if there's one thing that we lack, show us that one thing. In many cases, there's more than one thing, but show us those things that are in the way of our relationship with you, God. Let us serve you unconditionally. Lord, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to to put our trust in you and our trust in your word, to believe that your word is the final authority in our life and may may it become so real to us as we seek you for guidance. May we go to your word and discover that your word is a source of strength and guidance, a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Lord, I pray that each one of us would leave this place tonight knowing that we've been challenged and encouraged toward the purpose and plan you have for us and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus. I know that that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. 
and you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.